This is the After Party, live with Kim McAllister and John Daly. To you, Kim McAllister. Welcome to the party, the after party. It's Friday. We have You're an dancing. hour. It is. I am. Oh, you got your KGO shirt on. Yeah, That's a yeah. piece of history right there. You know what? I had a, a large shirt, but it's just too baggy. Mm-hmm. Like a, it's almost like a like a sleep shirt. And so I found yeah. a medium, um, which okay. is really fun. I'm grab my coffee a second. Sorry. Um, on the last day, the day that we were all let go, Anthony, our board up, rock and roll Anthony, you may remember, who used to run the board on Mark's show. And he works at uh, 107.7 The Bone now on air. Mm-hmm. He worked in promotions you know and he just went to the promotions closet found the box of kgo shirts and brought it to the newsroom and just opened it up and gave it to everybody he didn't ask for permission or anything i must have been gone by then i was already at the old ship drinking oh really yeah everybody was just you know grabbing grabbing the swag i was actually backing up audio i was backing up mark's audio i was backing up chip franklin's audio and sending him a flash drive so because it's like years and years and years of work um, and they were gracious enough to let us uh, to get all that information. But anyway, I'm, yep. I'm ready to leave it behind. Like I, there's I'm of, with... I'm of I'm of two minds of that. Are you? Because I just feel like I get it. For I get so it. So long, I was so sad about it. Yeah, and we could make it happy. Turn it into a happy. Memory. I just like you know, it's been a lot of rehashing, and I know we've had the one year anniversary, so we all look back, and yeah. you know, a lot of people are here because of KGO, and I, so I don't want to forget that, but also. Yeah. And, and it was a great, I mean, what a privilege to be part of something so wonderful and great. The Bay Area's and I, best traffic coverage, Kim McAllister, KGL. And more, right. Yeah. But I feel like I want to, like, I'm done rehashing it. And I don't care anymore what went down. And I just, I want to leave it in the past and move forward. Yeah, my memories of KGL are the happy times in the golden era. Yeah. And I think maybe what I'll do is create like a, like a website dedicated to it, like an archive website that people can go and... Uh, listen to old clips and do things like that. But yeah, yeah I get the, uh, the the negativity of like, you know, getting let go. I, I get wanting to move past that. But the community, I mean, the community, and, and yeah. this is like a big part of our lives. Like I've listened, I listened to KGO since I was like five years old. I Dr. Mean, too. I mean, and yeah, it was my and, dream to work there. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, but anyway, okay. this so, is the After Party Live. It is the After Party Live. And something happened yesterday, right after the show ended. That's when all and the good stuff goes down. It's true. And it was a super sticker from Julie Aww, that came Julie. through for $5. And we didn't get to say thank you. It's a thank big you, deal Julie. when we get a super sticker on the after party live. Yeah, we don't get a right? lot of uh, super stickers. We don't so get, we get a get lot of love. So when, when something happens like that, Thompson we're like... show. We're not that no. mainstream. When, when a super sticker comes through, John Daly and I are like, you know, we're ready to do a backspring, handspring. Ooh, piece of candy. Ooh, piece of candy. So, so it was a $5... A super sticker from Julie that came through, and we're very grateful and thankful for that. So, Julie, if you're watching, thank you, thank you. Um, and also, something that we had meant to talk about for two days, we didn't. We wanted to discuss Mary Lou Retton, but we're going to do that in the celebrity. She was actually news. the thumbnail of the show day before yesterday. Yeah, she was the like picture. the headlining mm-hmm. story. And you're always really good about getting to like all the stories that are even mentioned in the description. I know. So it was kind of funny to me that totally blew off Mary Lou Retton. Oh, I'm sorry, Mary Lou. 
something good, something good from the Lady Beatrice, a $10 super sticker. <laughs> See how excited? Uh, an archive website would be great, John. I'm still sad about it. What well, we never even got a reason cited as to why it, their money cumulus needed to make money, and we weren't. We got every W in journalism, but the why. Yeah. Yeah. And if you have specific questions, just send me an email. I don't want to bore yeah. people to tears, but, yeah. you know, I have like, it's a complex answer. It comes down to money and an unwillingness to make changes, wouldn't you say? Mm -hmm. So yeah. just kind of leave it at that. But if you have further questions, just email me and I'll, I'll give you, like if you have specific questions, I can I can tell you. Yeah, and thank you. Thank That's you so the much way to go. for that, the Lady Beatrice. We really appreciate that very much. Okay, so uh, if you are here and you could click the like button, click like and subscribe. We and most people so in the audience it. are here. Are they here? They're mostly here. They're yeah. mostly here. Are you if here? You are here. I am here. We are here. We're all here. Uh, I guess because I'm. I we can see how many people are here in the corner of the screen. Yeah. And usually there's about I don't know a hundred more or so, and so I know that people are still filtering in. So that's why I'm. I know it doesn't oh, make did sense. Did you post a link at the end of the show? At the I end didn't. of Mark's show. Oh, my bad. And I'm sorry. Who are you going to apologize However, to? However, uh, the the after party live community. Yeah, I cook yeah. and I clean. I prep the images for like an hour and, and a half. Still, no link. All really. that I am and all that I do, mm. <laughs> it's not enough. So apparently, John Daly likes to pick out my mistakes. No, no, and no, no, no. I no. don't feel like I made a mistake. No, because no. Someone in the I audience, took the trivia question from somebody a trivia in the website. audience. I, it wasn't me. I let it go. You know, yesterday we were talking about coffee and I said, Finland being the number one consumer of coffee doesn't make sense. It's not logical. But if you'll notice, go back to the tape. I stopped fighting and I let it go. Right? I'm not the one who brought, who did the, re I actually didn't even go research it. And I sh I, the old me would have gone and researched it and be, Kim, Kim, you're wrong. And I didn't do that. It was yeah. a listener that corrected you. Who was the listener? I just so Re I know. Rev P, R E S, Rev, Rev P Rev in the YouTube the one. comments, who leaves okay. a lot of very good comments, uh, yeah, he does. useful, insightful comments, he or she. Um, and uh, Rev points out the U.S. is the largest importer and consumer of coffee with 750,000 tons. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Just based on our population size and the fact that we're not drinking tea the way that like right. England's drinking tea or India. Finland consumes the most per capita. And that's what I said. Remember, I said that it's got to be per capita yeah. at 12 kilograms of dry coffee per person. So, you know, I don't mind somebody else pointing out that I'm right. That's fine. Right. <laughs> and that you were wrong. Um, yeah, something else that's annoying to me mosquitoes yeah. i'm the kind of person where if there's a mosquito within five miles of me it yeah. somehow smells my breathing out and it comes right to me it's like oh here's somebody tasty <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> apparently there was a mosquito swarm in a passenger cabin of what a plane yeah this was a flight from guadalajara uh, to mexico city and it was delayed for more than two hours due to a mosquito in infestation on the plane it was a valeris flight uh, scheduled to uh, depart at 4.30 p.m. local time, but it was delayed until almost 7 p.m. while the flight's crew and passengers attempted to get rid of the insects. And I have video here. Hopefully it won't give us a copyright strike. Can There's no audio, so we can talk over it. Mm -hmm. What do they have to, like, swat them and try to... I mean, how can you get rid of all the mosquitoes? You can't. I'm about to, about to show you. Let's check it out. Wow, look at this. So you have... Uh, People kind of using their safety placards, uh, waving oh, the mosquitoes around. Oh, what are they around. spraying? Yeah, the flight attendants are spraying some kind of, I imagine, bug spray. 
And they're just going up with and down all those the aisle. People? You're play, playing bug spray with all the people sitting there? Yeah, breathing oh, that in, baby. Oh, gross. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I want to know, how did the mosquitoes get on the plane? Like, how long did you leave the cabin door open? Must have just been sitting they, there on the tarmac with them. Did they get in another way? You know, did they have boarding Awful. passes? Or maybe there was... Little tiny boarding opening. passes? Uh, look at that. She's fogging up the place. Yeah. Can you imagine? No. I'm I'm asking to get off right then and there. Yeah. No. I would leave that plane with welts all over my body and uh, coughing because of the fumes. Wow. Miserable. Mm-mm. You know, no, yesterday we you. played the um, the world uh, world's uh, Guinness World Record gurning video. Remember, yeah. gurning is putting your lip over your, your nose. Yeah. What I didn't realize is the Guinness World Records people came down on us hard and took the show completely <laughs> offline. It was yeah. like a, a new category of copyright strike and I had to oh. excise it. So if you watch the video and you ever see like uh, the video just jump ahead and, uh, you know, then you know that we, we had, had to take, to take something, something out. out. Yeah. There's a question speaking of bugs about whether some species should be renamed so there was the hitler beetle what? and the moose the mussolini mm. butterfly no yeah yeah and so now there's some scientists calling for these creatures with offensive names like people those named with the fascist dictators right or uh, hitler and mussolini to be renamed as soon as possible it, it's because the organized the organization in charge of naming species ruled out scrapping all the controversial names earlier this year because they didn't want to confuse researchers. Um, they, you know, all the the creatures named the way it works is they have two word scientific names like Homo sapiens would be ours, right? right? Our name, um, and so there's a genus name and then a species. I think a um, species name, right? It's a, yeah, it's a genus name given to all closely related species. And then the second word is given to a single species. The scientists who discover the new species or genus are normally given the responsibility for naming them. In recent times, we've seen celebrity names like Taylor Swift, Leonardo DiCaprio, Sir David Attenborough, uh, U.S. presidents as well. But it's also because the naming rights are given to the people who discover the creature meant some more controversial names. So the there's a the one named after Hitler is called Rochlingia Hitleri. It's now, an, did they say when it was named after him? I imagine it was during their early years. Mm-hmm. It was discovered by a German paleontologist in 1934. Okay, that makes more sense. There's another so one it wasn't called... A, it wasn't like a tribute. Anopthalmus Hitleri is a blind cave beetle from Slovenia. That one discovered in 1937. Mussolini's name given to a butterfly species, Hippopta Mussolini, which is native to Libya, interestingly, which is one of the countries occupied by Italy during his tenure. Yeah, and the other one was Slovenia for Hitler. Yeah, I'm sure those countries appreciate that. Thanks. There's other species named after slave traders, colonialists, cryptocurrency companies, out they the you know the the thing the thought is that these are outdated they can cause problems for the animals themselves a hitleri has been driven close to extinction because neo nazi collectors pay thousands of dollars for the specimens of them oh, apparently come on i know it's ridiculous so the thought is like should we change the name and right now yes. the answer is no no it should no, be no we yes. shouldn't because it's going to confuse people so then there's a backlash right 
uh, about whether we should change the name or not. What do you guys think? You know how you clear up the confusion? You have a little annotation, a little asterisk, mm-hmm. right? And then in the notes, you say this this was changed due to the fact that it was named after Hitler and Mussolini. Yeah. <laughs> People can handle that that correction. Uh, I think that's better than having animal or uh, insects named after uh, these well, horrible people. Well, apparently there's really a similar issue with um, botanists and name the naming of plant life. So, mm, I don't know. I, I mean, yeah. I tend not to put big, you know, stock into names so much, but if it bothers somebody, I say change it. Whatever. I feel like the people who these scientists are fascists. Yeah. We're not gonna name we're not gonna change the name. <laughs> There's no way we're gonna change the name. No, no, Once no. It's in, it's in. No, no, no. Huge, huge thank you, by the way, to K Major with a ten dollar super sticker coming through. So, so kind. And Pamela Kirby throwing down a couple bucks moving forward from Station X. Pamela, I appreciate you very much. Uh, and another $10 super sticker from Pamela Kirby as well. So thank you guys. We really appreciate wow, that. Wow, thank you guys. Goes a long way for us. So life lovely. Thank you. It, it pays for stories about, uh, or the presentation of stories about insects named after Hitler. In yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. You know. Um, but there's this other story um, about New Zealand farmers and cows. Do you have the details on this? I have the details on this. This is apparently, you know, you know, cows, they they emit a lot of gases, shall we say. Oh, and yeah. a lot of people say it's cow farts, but really cow burps are what shoot the methane out into the world. Right, right. And so New Zealand has a plan to tax farmers for their livestock's burps and toots. Uh, we call it farts toots at my house. Did you toot? Uh, <laughs> New Zealand's uh, burps and toots, and it's causing a, a bit burps of an and issue. And burps and toots and burps and toots. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the sound effects, John Daly, toots, uh, everybody. John Daly on the burp and toot mic. Um, so, yes, yeah, so Saturday is their general election, but there's a big agricultural community in New Zealand. They've got 10 million head of cattle there. They've got 20 million sheep in yeah, the pastures. That's a lot. Yeah. But they also are very proactive in climate change, and the government has targeted livestock as it moves toward net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. But just under half of New Zealand's emissions come from agriculture. And the main culprit is this guy on the screen right now. It's the cattle. Their burps and farts contain methane, which is the far less abundant in the atmosphere than carbon dioxide, but responsible for about 30% of the global rise in temperatures to date, according to to the folks in New Zealand. So to fight this, they were one of the first countries to say that they were going to start pricing agricultural emissions, so taxing burps and toots from livestock. Here's how much it'll cost. Farmers will be taxed according to the farm area, the livestock numbers, production, and their use of nitrogen fertilizer in an effort to cut agricultural emissions between 24 and 47 percent by 2050. The Farmers are afraid that the pricing is going to cut into their profits and threaten their livelihoods. So they've been protesting. Uh, A year ago in October, they were all over New Zealand's main cities protesting. And now here come the elections and everyone's still thinking about the burps and toots situation. And and whether... (laughs) (laughs) Um, They say they're going to try to give people time to get ready for this. Maybe not started until 2025. 
uh, maybe 2030. We'll see. And then also technologies are being developed that maybe could help with this, right? Uh, I don't know. I, we'll see. But it's interesting to to charge farmers for how much methane their cows are dumping into the world. Eric's saying there are more sheep than people in New Zealand. I believe that is correct. Mm. So get this for for sheep. There are five sheep for every person in New Zealand. That's crazy. There are two cows for every person in New Zealand. There's only five million people in New Zealand. They're just over five million. So you have 10 million cattle, 25 million sheep. That's a lot of sheep that's and that's a lot, lot of cattle. Sheep. Here's a quote from a farmer. This is um, Otago dairy farmer Bryce McKenzie, who was one of the people that tried to help all the protests. And here's what he said. Right. A lot of farmers are struggling mentally simply because a lot of the regulations that have been implemented are actually uh, really hard to work to. He said taxing a farmer for his emissions achieves absolutely nothing. It's just the blunt instrument to whack farmers over the head with. I think it's uh, more of a bigger issue. It's kind of like, yeah. you know, climate change and everyone saying, well, I don't want to do this and I want to do that. We will on a larger mm -hmm. scale in terms of reducing plastic and emissions, we have to. So, yeah, yeah it, it's going to be difficult for certain sectors, but for the greater good, we have to realize, no, no, we have to do these things, right? Yeah. The Minister for Climate Change in New Zealand said it's really important for New Zealand to lead the way on this because they are one of the world's leading agricultural countries and agricultural emissions make up half of the total pollution that we put into the atmosphere every year. This is James Shaw. He says farmers have a really important role to play in the fight against climate change. And, and that's interesting... cheap per capita. <laughs> Not pounds? No? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, burp and, toot, burp and toot tax coming in. Yeah. Yeah. It is the highest sheep to human ratio in the world. 5.1 is the ratio. I love That's this next story. Insane. I am all for the lasso. Like, I think this is going to be great. This like is Ted a lasso. The, no, the SFPD is considering oh, yeah, this right. new tool. Yeah. Yeah, San Francisco police may consider utilizing a new tool that's described as flying handcuffs. It's a remote restraint device known as the Bola Wrap, designed to be a non-lethal alternative to tasers, guns, or batons. It sounds like a gunshot, but there's no bullet. It's actually more like a lasso, as you're saying, Kim. And it's already being used in more than a dozen Bay Area law enforcement agencies. It's the um, wild, it, wild west in San Francisco. Yeah, right? Yeah, I think, I think Mark Thompson, the <laughs> law and order Mark Thompson, would like to have one of these. It's yeah. an electronic handheld device that shoots out a seven and a half foot cord that wraps around the intended target with two <laughs> anchors that look like fishing hooks. It requires a three foot clearance around the target to properly deploy. This is very like go, go gadget, inspector gadget, I think. Yeah. It's loud. It's fast. It shoots out about 400 feet per second. Uh, the device has a seven dot laser, said the company CEO, where it's displayed and it will allow you to point uh, to the individual and let them know that this is in the wrap zone. A typical wrap zone is between mid thigh to ankle. Uh, or just above the elbow to the wrist. The device has been pitched to the San Francisco Police Department with the idea officers would deploy it if dealing with individuals who are non-compliant, which is usually the case, right, for SFPD, undergoing a health, mental health crisis, which is usually the case, or on drugs, which is almost always the case here in San Francisco. <laughs> uh, no other city in the world could benefit from Bola Wrap as much as San Francisco would. Um, I think that's interesting, and that's um, from well, our uh, friends at ABC7 News. It's considered less than lethal, right? Yeah. And so instead of shooting somebody fire, in the back. right or whatever you you just lob this lasso at them also yeah. called uh what do they call it flying handcuffs and that it's like this giant rope that either 
ties your legs together so you can't yeah. run. And, he, and the people, the, the people get, trip and fall, get. and then they're easily arrested. Or it wraps around your your torso, pinning your arms to your sides so yeah. you can't raise a weapon or do whatever. And yeah. so, I mean, great. If this is a less than lethal tool, I I... It, I don't see a negative side to this. Now we just have to figure out that problem of them reaching for their lasso and accidentally reaching for their gun and shooting somebody, uh, which happens with the tasers, right? Well, it's it's just bright yellow. But that's I mean, with I the know. taser. The tasers are bright yellow, right, or orange. Um, yeah. So it's it's just like a reflex thing. Like, how do you you know when the adrenaline surges? How do the police make sure that they're they're deploying the right weapon? That's a job for you, I say. Mm. Not for me. No. Any takers? Um, but the it's interesting. <laughs> I guess if you don't shoot this thing right, because it has this little like, like hard disc thing to it. Mm -hmm. If you don't shoot it down at a torso or a leg, right. you could take out somebody's face. eyeball. Yeah. Like it's not without risk, right? Yeah, you'll shoot your eye out. But I still think it's a good idea. I better still than, like it. Better than shooting at people or stray bullets hitting other people, innocent bystanders. Yeah, agreed. And um, also, don't run from the police. That's so a good, that's a good pro tip. <laughs> yeah, you know what I tell my kids: if the police try to stop you, just stop. Yeah, and I can see Jacob running. Oh, uh, he's got energy. Yeah, there's this new phenomenon. Speaking of kids, about TikTok. Not that TikTok talk is a new phenomenon, but they have this new thing they're doing on TikTok. It's called TikTok Shop. Oh, and you get money if you create commercials for things. So apparently, Wait, so they're trying to recruit children to create commercials? They're not. You're not supposed to do it if you're under a certain age. But kids know that you can make money doing this, so they've decided to do it anyway. So what do you have to say? Click here if you're over 18. That sounds 18. like a teenager. Yeah, so they click here if they're under eighteen, uh, even if they're not. They're That's not like over going 18. to an alcohol website. And it's like, how old are you before we proceed? Yeah. Uh, and so kids pretend to be older, and they make these videos, and they're making money on what's kind of a little side hustle, right? It's a, and you, I kind of was trying to figure out. Well, what are these videos they're making? Like, what exactly is it? So they're kind of funny little advertisements for things usually sold on websites like Amazon or Etsy. And one of the ones that was described was there are these four dollar leggings that are sold on Amazon. And so this kid made a video, and he jokes, you know. He's dancing around to Michael Jackson's songs. The kid is not my son, and. Uh, Billy Jean, I think, is the name of the song. And he says, uh, caution, the wearer may get pregnant. Like, the leggings are so cute that, you know, you could get pregnant, whatever. A kid, a kid created that? Yeah. Another video, the same teen maid advertises the leggings, which he says is a 10 out of 10 baddie wearing them. They're, these things are getting more than a million views. And so these kids are doing these ads for things on being sold online and they're making bank doing these ads so yeah but they're not supposed to be because they're too young so anyway this is your new uh, capitalism internship that's right that's what they're doing anyway i just wanted to throw that out there i didn't know that so i have to ask julia if she knows people are making these ads it's a wild idea yeah a lot of people doing the side hustle these days though right yeah yeah we are um <laughs> some of us are. 
<laughs> um, speaking of wild side hustles, uh, a 55-year-old whose backyard side hustle brought in nearly $20,000 a month says anyone can do oh, this. In, in March 2021, good. this guy, Melton, started molting, uh, molding, sorry, molding. He wasn't molting. <laughs> that would be a <laughs> different story. That's a trick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He started, well, along with gurning, he started molding, <laughs> engraving, and selling headstones for pet memorials on Wait, Etsy. Speaking of Etsy. That's a great idea. He'd long worked with concrete. Um, oh, maybe he worked with Deidre at Lozica Concrete. Uh, he worked with concrete and stone as a hobby while working 60 hours per week as a maintenance lead at Mars Pet Care. Oh, okay, at a pet care place. Mm-hmm. He already owned a $15,000 engraver. Wow. Plus, he could work in his self-built workshop behind his home in Alma, Arkansas. Oh, he's in your favorite state, one of your favorite mm. states. A town less than 6,000 people on the edge of the Ozarks. At first, uh, it took Melton two or three days to set the headstones in molds, then another five hours to engrave them before his wife added epoxy filling. As his side hustle grew, revenue started pouring in, and so he used a combination of the proceeds and savings to invest another $51,500 in other tools like a sandblaster, granite saw, and chisel, mm-hmm. and laser engraver. Um, so pretty cool. The last year, the four, it's now a four-person operation, brought in more than $207,000 on Etsy. Wow. Maybe we need to start making headstones. I guess so. I don't have a $15,000 engraver to start it off with, so. How's your credit? I don't know. <laughs> the credit's not bad. <laughs> the problem with credit is you actually have to pay the credit card bill, see? So you oh, you buy all yeah. this stuff and then you have to pay for it. Isn't that a yeah. shocker? Do you yeah. run up credit? So I have in the past and it seems insurmountable. And then I had to really work to get, uh, David and I had to work to get ourselves out of it. And so mm. right now, no, we don't have any. We, we The Nothing. only debt we have is our house. Our cars are paid off. And um, his student loans. Yeah. But the, I mean, that's normal debt. That's yeah. healthy debt. Um, it. It's going to shock you, but I've never carried a balance intentionally. Really? Yeah. I, th- I missed a payment one time just because the app was glitching. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I just don't want to go there. Yeah. I just live be- below my means. You're very smart. Means. Yeah. I got myself into some, uh, we got ourselves into some trouble. Yeah. It's just, you know, you don't realize it. And all of a sudden you turn around and you don't realize how much you've, charged and then it becomes this thing that yeah. you're paying the interest and you can't even pay the principal oh it's ridiculous so, and you know they yeah. they pitch they pitch the cards to that this is how i got my first city bank card my first credit card was on on campus at sonoma state they yeah. go after the university kids and then the, the university kids are like wide-eyed it's like wait i can right. i can buy whatever i want free money right yeah nope. no and it's so a trap. it's a trap it is a trap and and it's it really feels awful when you're in it. I mean, we would lay awake at night just thinking how are we going to get out of this? So, and I think once you get to that point and you manage to dig yourself out of that hole, you never want to dig back in. Right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um this next story um why don't you do this? I'm going to load the photo. It, this is a story about the Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa. Have you seen the Mona yes. Lisa? I have not seen it in person. Um, no. Yeah, I don't want to bust any bubbles but i guess you should set your expectations correctly before because when you see it on the wall right it looks really mm-hmm. it kind of looks big right at least it looks medium size but in reality it's really tiny oh yeah i heard it's hard to see too that everyone crowds around that yeah you kind of have to get your spot but it, mm-hmm. it, it is beautiful and everything it's just funny because every time you see it it's it's either blown up this big or mm-hmm. you know they zoom in even further and it's like oh no this is more like a postage stamp yeah 
Interesting. But there's new news. There is new news about how Leonardo da Vinci painted this masterpiece. They've used x-rays, the scientists have, to peer into the chemical structure of a tiny speck of the Mona Lisa. And that has given new insight into the techniques that da Vinci used to paint the Mona Lisa. They published this work, this x-ray findings, in the Journal of the American Chemical Society. And what they found is that da Vinci may have been a particularly, uh, have been in, in an experimental mood when he tried to paint the Mona Lisa. The oil paint recipe that he used as his base layer to prepare the panel, the mm-hmm. the canvas, uh, of poplar wood appears to have been different for the Mona Lisa with its own distinctive chemical signature, different than his other works. He was someone who loved to experiment, and each of his paintings is completely different technically. And so this one... Uh, in this case, they say it's that's the case here. Specific technique for the ground layer of Mona Lisa. The researchers found a rare compound called plum plumonchrite. Wait, did I say it right? Plumonocrite uh, in his first layer of paint. And then, you're welcome. There you go. Thank you. Uh, that is confirming for the first time what art historians previously only hypothesized about that he most likely used lead oxide powder to thicken and help dry his paint as he started working on the portrait that now stares out from behind the protective glass at the Louvre. Yeah. Very interesting. Finding, I kind of like plumacrite. Find, oh, oh, it's that. plumacrite. Fla- finding <laughs> plum. plumonacrite in the Mona Lisa <laughs> attests to Leonardo's spirit of passionate and constant experimentation as a painter. They say it's what renders him timeless and modern. Karen says mm-hmm. it's painted on poplar, which I didn't know. Da Vinci used different formulas on each painting. Yeah, interesting. interesting. Yeah. They say call plumonacrite a fingerprint of his recipe. The first time we can actually chemically confirm it. Very cool. John said John Slade says he painted but painted it by numbers. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> uh, it also they say it tells us those recipes that he used, if they were successful, they were passed down to other artists from right. generation to generation through centuries, and that proves that it was a really really good recipe. So, that's yeah. a good uh, painting recipe. It was a that's a spicy meatball. Face. like a grandma used to make racist Um, (laughs) no i'm honoring the culture uh uh, it's time for a break already on that note yeah get it in early ridiculous the show goes so fast it's crazy but yet we still keep it on time (laughs) all right when we come back uh will we talk about lobotomizing uh ai will we talk about that yeah it's um Mm. it's ai being lobotomized i really want to do this story about um a halloween thief so we'll talk about that as well uh and we have some other great stories and it's all we'll blow off mary lula retton again and oh and mary lula retton (laughs) and also (laughs) there's a house in san francisco that's from a you may remember it from a really really popular movie we'll show you that as well that's all coming up next on 
The After Party. Live. live. The After Party Live is underwritten by our audience, and without you, this show wouldn't be possible. If you can contribute $10, $15, or $20 a month, it would keep this party a rockin'. The PayPal link can be found in the About section of the YouTube channel or at the bottom of the show description. Any dollar amount is appreciated, and it all adds up. On behalf of Kim and myself, thank you for your consideration. Aloha, bitches. It's the After Party Live. It makes me laugh every time I hear it. It is the After Party Live. Steve P., the new contributor and repeat contributors, Karen K. and Susan S., thank you so much. Want to also go ahead and thank, again, our uh, super sticker people. Lady yeah. Beatrice with $10. K. Major with $10. Pamela with a 2 and another 10 We're very grateful. Thank you for the super stickers. It's so exciting when those come in. It's like a, it's like a little Christmas present. All gift Yeah, I wanted to us. give uh, Steve another uh, shout out because I was not able to update the video, the thank you at the end of the show, uh, oh, because mm-hmm. I was um, moderating the uh, Zoom call last night for the Mark Thompson anniversary. Mm-hmm. So b- another shout out for Steve P. You will be included in the video as I update it this weekend. Awesome. Thank you, Steve. Okay, so let's kick it off. Uh, if you you want to do entertainment or you want to tell me about AI? We we could do Mary Lou Retton, but let's blow that off a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> we're Mary we're Lou. Horrible, we're horrible people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this Microsoft story, I think, is, is, is interesting. Um, so... You know AI, right? You yeah. know, uh, you know how you could create images. You can, you know, they're creating so, like songs. Let me tell you that I use a certain program to create the picture for our show, the thumbnail, if they call it, and Wait, Mark's it's AI? show. No, it oh. isn't. And then I do the show description, or the okay. uh, I write the little th- the blurb on the on top of the picture. Right. And the website I used, the web service I used asked me if I wanted to click here for a magical touch. I don't know what that means. So magical I thought, touch? I'm down little, for a magical touch. A little bump? Like what? <laughs> I don't know. So I clicked <laughs> on it and it said, do you want us to write it for you? Do you want to input the information you want it? And do you I want guess us that's, to do your homework for you? That's their magical touch. They're going to write my stuff for me. And I'm like, I don't need your magical touch. I'm capable of doing it on my own. Thank you very much. Click the X, but yeah. So even our the little we, we use it's called Canva. Even they have a little AI tool that I can use, and I didn't try it. Maybe I will try it just to see. Well, what it looks hopefully, like. hopefully it won't do what uh, was done in this story. So funds over kids, as Windows Central reports, Microsoft appears to have lobotomized its Bing image creator. The Dolly 3-powered image-generating AI was integrated into Bing's platform last week. And if you don't know what Bing is, it's because it's a horrible search engine. It (laughs) prompted netizens to quickly test its guardrails. As it turns out, those guardrails were incredibly ineffective with users, 404 Media, Samantha Cole, Cole, notable among them, quickly realizing that they were able to generate problematic copyright infringing, and we know what that's like, uh, AI generations of beloved cartoon characters like Disney's Mickey Mouse doing things like wearing bomb-covered vests and perpetrating the 9-11 no, no, terror no. attacks. Absolutely not. No. Microsoft had no, blocked that's unacceptable. certain keywords like 9-11 and Twin Towers, but as noted in this article, workarounds were surprisingly easy. Rather than typing out Mickey Mouse flying a plane into the Twin Towers, for example, you could simply type Mickey Mouse sitting in the cockpit of a plane flying towards two tall skyscrapers, and the AI would generate uh, a tragic comic decidedly, uh, decidedly un- unsafe image um yeah so microsoft has to tighten the grip on the ai 
and this is just one of the many issues with AI, right? Uh, and so, like the since-lobotomized rage and lust-filled Bing AI chatbot, remember the chatbot that got all, like, sexy and creepy? Uh, it seems that the image creator's guardrails have intensified, uh, honing in on terrorism, implying language, and other potentially problematic keywords. This is awful. Yeah, that's pretty bad. I'm going to take it off the screen before we uh Thank we get you. Flagged. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, that's disturbing. No I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, I shouldn't be laughing about 9-11, but it's, it, and I'm not laughing about 9-11. It's just ridiculous that you know, technology can do this now. And yeah, that they don't have better safeguards in place to make sure that you can, you know. Another you reason, uh, as, as Spencer says, that Bing is, Bing is awful. No, <laughs> don't like that. No, thank you. Not interested in that. Okay, so um, I do want to tell you, though, about the Powerball ticket before we get to Mary oh, okay. Lou. So we don't know who won <laughs> the one. get to Mary Lou. <laughs> well, the eventually, end of the week. promise we'll talk to her. We'll talk about her next <laughs> month. Um, the one point seven three billion dollar Powerball jackpot was won in Kern County, right at Fraser Park, and it was the Fraser Park liquor store. And the the winner of the ticket hasn't come forward, but because the Midway Market and Liquor in Fraser Park sold the ticket. They got a million dollars, just a million dollars for selling that ticket. It's a family-owned store, and they are elated. They're talking to the local NBC affiliate. They're laughing. They celebrated with friends, cracked open a bottle of tequila. And they said they're so excited. And they didn't they couldn't believe that their store sold the winning ticket. She they say, I thought somebody was joking with me. Then I started getting calls and text messages from friends and customers, and I realized it was true. They're gonna take part of that million and they're gonna go on vacation. So well done over at the uh the Fraser uh Midway liquor store. Yeah. Yeah, I mean if you owned a liquor store, you'd have to you'd have to sell lottery tickets, right? Cuz you never know. Eventually, right. you know, it may not be a million dollars, but eventually someone's going to win, you think. Well, it might be the lottery ticket bot purchaser that actually gets is coming in the store and then ends up walking away with something else. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, Mary Lou, we'll get to Mary Lou right now. Oh. I thought we had one more story before Mary Lou. Oh, do we have another story? No, Sorry, Mary Lou. Let's You're going to have to you have to wait. I'm just <laughs> Sorry, Mary. You're out. <laughs> we won't do it. Uh, but you know who's in is uh, I wanted to do, if I can find it, the story about the Halloween. Should I do that now or later? Let's do oh, Mary Lou gonna... now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I don't. Oh, Halloween thief. Oh, Mary Lou. Okay, here's Mary Lou. Mary Lou Retton is really sick. We joke, but she's actually really sick. And yeah. she has a rare form of pneumonia. And she has been hospitalized for more than a week now. Mm. she's got a couple million dollars but you know when you're in icu and you're on life support which she is because she can't breathe on her own so she's on life support the medical bills rack up fast that's going to suck away her fortune so her daughter has gone online and set up a contribution site a donation site where people can go ahead and donate money wouldn't wouldn't health health insurance cover most of that Oh, she doesn't have health insurance because this is America, oh. right? Um, he, they got a $50,000 contribution from this guy called Mattress Mac. He owns a bunch of mattress stores, I guess, in the Texas area. Well, well with a name like that. Is that the guy who Ma- is like... Um, mattress who, Mac. His real name is always Jim. gives away mattresses if, uh, yeah. if the Cowboys win? Is that the same guy? Yeah, yeah I think so. His name is Jim uh, McKingvale. He and his wife gave fifty thousand dollars 
to assist with uh, Mary Lou Retton's medical bills. Mm-hmm. He owns Gallery Furniture in Texas. Yeah, they yeah, say yeah. they've been fans of hers since before she became a household name. Their kids also did gymnastics, and they've supported the coaches, Bella and Marta Karolyi's uh, gymnastics team. They said their son worked out with the team for years. Their daughter did as well, and they call Mary Lou a shining point of light. And it's the fifty thousand they they kicked in, they said it's the least they can do to try to help her get on her feet. I don't know if she's going to. Apparently, she may be doing a little bit better. Uh, She suffered a severe lung infection from pneumonia, his wife, a year ago, and she got better. So they're hoping that since that uh, his wife got better, that maybe Mary Lou can make her way out of this as well. Yeah. So So that's Mattress uh, Mac there on the right hand side. Mattress Mac. Uh, Here's another photo of him. He obviously he has the money. Stashes of money. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, this fundraiser set up by Mary Lou Retton's daughters has so far raised $404,000 and their initial goal was 50,000. So they have very much exceeded their uh their initial goal and we do hope that she gets better and then fights her way out of this one. Yeah, that's yeah. really sad. Um do you want to do uh this bakery story we're kind of going out of order here but um there was a bakery that was um uh, for sale and it, it was only for like a dollar. Yeah, this, this is, is a, in Oakland. Yeah, sixty-four-year-old uh, a bakery in Oakland being sold for a dollar. It's it the turns oldest a profit too. Like it, they make it makes money. Yeah, it's a, a the oldest kosher bakery for that shocking price of one dollar. Oakland's Grand Bakery, which originally opened in nineteen fifty-nine, is looking for someone to take over the business. The owner, Sam Tobis, says finding the right person is this is like very Willy Wonka. Finding finding the right person is more important than making mm-hmm. money. Wow. It's never been about the money for me, he said. I thought this was a way to attract a lot of prospective interest. Uh, Tobis, he needs the golden tickets, I'm telling you. Willy Wonka, come on. Uh, Tobis yeah. has run the Grand Bakery yeah. since 2017 when he purchased the business from previous owner Bob Jaffe, who shut it down a year earlier. Tobis also became a partner in the longtime Jewish deli Saul's in Berkeley last year when the owners wanted to retire and said it's been challenging juggling both businesses. I can understand that. Yeah. Yeah, pretty, pretty uh, cool. Only a dollar if you're interested. But I mean, a bakery is a lot of work. You've got to get up yeah. early. You've in got the to have morning. food experience. You've got to, yeah, you've got to, yeah. You've got to have, as they say here, a little mashugana. You've got to be a little mashugana. <laughs> okay, I want to talk about this if we could. This is the house in San Francisco from the Princess Diaries that is now for sale. Remember this house that was her high school? They used it as the high school. In the movie, Anne Hathaway's Princess Diaries character attends this fictional high school called Grove High School. Well, it's actually a house and it's for sale. It's a 45, it's 4,554 square foot estate. It's in Pack Heights, right? uh, It is. It's on Grove. It was called Grove High School. So the exterior was used as the location for the fictional Grove High School. This house was dropped in price. It was, I think, in the $9 million range, but they dropped the price to $6.5 million. So you see a mere bargain. What a steal. It's a 100-year-old house, four bedrooms. They say it's considered one of San Francisco's most beloved properties. Not many properties in the city have a giant fountain in front like that. I don't have one of those. No, I'm I'm also lacking a giant fountain. It's right on the edge of... A water feature, Kim. A water feature. It's right on the edge of the landmark Presidio, 
uh, and uh, which is the national park at the foot of the Golden Gate Bridge. So it's kind of Presidio-ish. 12 rooms. They have a rooftop garden, panoramic views of the San, Fran uh, San Francisco Bay and of the city. They have an outdoor kitchen with heaters and a fire pit. Um, yeah. So, but I, I just remember seeing this house as the high school in the movie and wondering, where is that? And here, yeah, yeah, here it is. You can own it and it's for sale. Uh, the home went back on the market. Okay, so here's what is the original price back in March was 8.9 mil. It didn't sell. So now the new price tag is six and a half million dollars. So it went back on the market on Friday. So it's up for sale. Look how pretty that is inside. Yeah, look, look at those view. views out of the arched windows. That is gorgeous. I mean, I'm never going to have six and a half million dollars to buy it, but I hope someone who appreciates it as much as I do. You don't have I to go anywhere it. if you want to view uh, Fleet Week. You know, we want to see the Blue Angels. No, just right there. Right? Step outside. Just go step outside on in, through your arch doorway and out onto your little, you know, patio. It's not really a patio. patio. It's more of patio like balcony. a portico. I don't know. Portico. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, so pretty. But I mean, the pictures of this house, they have it on We're not TMZ. rich enough to know what to call that. No, we, I don't know what that's called. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's Anybody a lanai. I'll take that. That's what it is. <laughs> it's a lanai. Watch out for the mosquitoes. Yeah, we don't want those guys. Um, big day today. Taylor Swift is uh, has her movie of the Eras Tour concert opening. Well, it it opened yesterday because the tickets were sold out, and so they added some extra showings. And so they opened yesterday. This thing is raking in the cash. Here is Taylor Swift in the gorgeous blue dress in the middle at the premiere in Los Angeles of the Eras Tour concert movie. And um, yeah, it's she. I want to say that I don't get it, yeah. but I do get it. I do get it. She said, I can't thank you enough for wanting to see this film that so vividly captures my favorite adventure I've ever been a part of, the Eras Tour. And the best part is, it's an adventure we're still on together. She's still on the Eras Tour and performing around the world. She's going to go to Europe. She's going to go to other countries. So she said, due to unprecedented demand, early access showings of the movie will open Thursday, which they did in the U.S. and Canada, and then extra showtimes are being added throughout the weekend. They can't sell, they can't open enough theaters and get this thing on enough screens for all the people that want to go see it, because Swifties go out and they spend money. Yes. They think this movie is going to bring in, just this weekend alone, between $100 and $125 million. CNN reported this movie crushed single-day ticket sales less than three hours after tickets became available. And you know they have also special uh, swag, you, you should, could say. When you go to see the Taylor Swift era's movie, you can buy your Taylor Swift popcorn. And your Taylor Swift soda or drink. And it's all in your special Taylor Swift bucket. So they're not only going to make money on the movie, they're going to make money on the stuff that goes with the movie. Because I know that I'll she's very generous and she gave money to her her mm -hmm. her ground crew, her drivers. And um, yeah. I'm sure she gives a lot of money to charity. But maybe the next... Uh, thing that she launches could be like a charity effort to get people to spend money on Maui or something and do something for her. I think non, she gives uh, a lot of, I think she gives a lot of money to charity. I yeah, do. I hope mm -hmm. so. But you know, maybe you get, if you're going to wrangle all these people, all these kids to, you know, and all these parents to spend money, maybe uh, 
you know, funnel that towards something beyond just making more money. Yeah, because how much money does one person need? Yeah, when you're done, when you've won capitalism, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> you, when, you, when you have your own popcorn bucket and soda yeah. drink cups, yeah, you think you could give back. Well, I mean, Maybe who am I to tell her what out. to do with her money? But she'll figure it out. And I think she's very generous. So. Free popcorn to everyone. Yeah kind of cool julia's already i want the popcorn and i want the soda cup because i'm going to keep it in my room and use it as a pencil cup and i want and then go to the movie and that yeah okay we're jumping around today but i want to hear about this um bionic hand that you oh, have us that, that have was in interesting here. to you it's interesting because john and i both will find stories and we put them in and so sometimes he finds stories that i'm like oh that's the best story yeah this one is this bionic hand uh, that apparently has sensations of feeling. This is weird. You know that phantom limb pain where if you lose an extremity, sometimes even though that extremity is gone, there's still some type of pain there. Like you still feel like you have a limb there and there it, there can be pain. Anyway, uh, people that it's a problem for people that have undergone amputation and regular prosthetics. You've seen like a hook hand kind of thing before. It's cumbersome. It doesn't necessarily work correctly, but this new hand, it sounds like it's straight out of, you know, what is like when you see the Star Trek episodes where they have all this advanced medical technology, mm-hmm. this woman, this one woman here featured here, has gotten significant relief from that phantom pain. And she has this functioning bionic prosthetic hand that can feel some sensations and help her do about 80% of what she used to do with both hands. That's a pretty big improvement from the hook, let me say. So they liken it to Luke Skywalker's human bionic hand. Remember that in the movie of uh, Star Wars, not Star Trek? Anyway... Uh, this whole thing is published in the medical journal Science Robot. And this woman had been using a regular prosthetic hand for years, but she said it was hard to control. And even with the most technically advanced prosthetics on the market, it was really uncomfortable and sometimes painful to use. She is Swedish and 50 years old. She lost her hand in a farming accident, and she'd been living with this phantom limb pain for 20 years, and she said it was excruciating. She said, and this sounds awful, I felt like I constantly had my hand in a meat grinder, which created a high level of stress. I had to take various doses of painkillers, she said. That made her new, uh, that made her be able to function, but this new prosthetic um, de- developed at the Center for Bionics and Pain Research apparently has re- relieved her pain. She's the first person in the world with a below elbow amputation to successfully get this bionic hand directly connected to her neuromusculoskeletal system, so it's attached into her. It's considered bionic because it is attached to her nervous system as well as to her muscles and her bones unlike a traditional prosthesis that just attaches to kind of the end of the stump area by suction or a cable not this one this one um is embedded in her they have a controller a wrist-shaped battery unit a mechantronic coupler device used to transmit power that connects to the neuromusculoskeletal interface so she doesn't need any other equipment like batteries or processing units or anything else 
And so apparently it's very successful to her for her. Yeah. Pretty cool. Very cool uh, development. Uh, Deidre is pointing out that uh, the GOP has nominated Jim Jordan. Oh, Lord. Um, although See it's what just happens when I'm talking about bionic hands. Yeah, Here it's we just go. a formal endorsement, um, right? So for him to become speaker, he still has to rally the overwhelming majority of House uh, Republicans. Uh, yeah. And he defeated uh, Representative Austin Scott from Georgia, who made a surprise entrance. So it's uncertain if Jordan will be able to persuade Scott's supporters to flip ahead of a well, possible floor but vote. He, but he managed to scoop past... Austin Scott as the nominee. So he is the no- yeah. new nominee, Jim Jordan. And he's yeah. a nutbag. Yeah. What did he say that is he the one who said that he's he's like he's like uh is he oh no, that was Scalise that said he was like uh David Duke without the baggage. David Duke without the baggage. Yeah. All these it's hard sorry, it's hard to keep all these people like straight. I believe Jordan is the one Oh no, that's too profound. Different sorry. crazy, I'm, different crazy. I'm getting my nutbags confused. Yeah, exactly, right? My bad. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, Moving on, um, this story I found uh, somewhat interesting. Uh, Internet companies have reported the biggest ever denial of service operation. Um, Do you remember? Are you familiar with this? Every time you hear, you know, websites being over Mm -hmm. overpowered or the Internet kind of coming to a standstill or, you know, Amazon services go down or Microsoft, it's usually a denial of service operation. Um, Internet companies, Google, Amazon, Cloudflare, sorry, Cloudflare. Uh, say they have weathered the Internet's largest known denial of service attack and are sounding an alarm over a new technique that could, uh, they warn could easily cause widespread disruption. Alphabet, which owns Google, said in a blog post Tuesday that it could, its cloud services had parried an avalanche of rogue traffic more than seven times the size of the previous record-breaking attack thwarted last year. Um, Internet protection company Cloudflare said the attack was three times larger than any previous attack that we've obser- observed. Um, and Amazon's web services division also con- con- uh, confirmed being targeted by a new type of distributed denial of service event. Um, so the, these DOSs, as they're called, and you can see here, there's like a bot master on the left. And and basically, it's one person taking over uh, a network of computers that have been compromised and then having all those computers ask for the same thing at the same time, right? Right. It's like unleashing Taylor Swift fans all on one website, <laughs> all these remote controlled uh, slave bots. Um, so th- this is uh, pretty intense. Uh, this is, um, I mean, in the fact that it's affecting these huge companies and as all the, the internet becomes con- consolidated and the services become consolidated among these, these top providers, you know, the, the risk of any, any one of them going down could, you know, take down a huge part of the internet uh, yeah. and what you're, you're used to accessing every day, right? Those services that you rely on. Um, none of the three companies said who was responsible for the attacks, which have historically been difficult to attribute. So mm. hackers somewhere. Or China or Russia. Um, That's annoying. You know what else is uh, awful? Is this guy. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Who's this? This is not your friend. This fellow is a porch pirate, allegedly, targeting homes and businesses around Pittsburgh. So this person, whoever he may be, caught on the ring cam, raided several homes' front yards and doorsteps around Pittsburgh this week, and police have put out this picture they're hoping someone can help identify this fellow. He was recently recorded on one house's surveillance cam, grabbing, in addition to packages, a skeleton Halloween decorations. See, look at him. He's making off with a skeleton. He's stealing Halloween decor. I mean, talk about a Grinch. <sighs> 
So in addition to stealing skeletons and ghosts from Halloween-decorated yards, the Pittsburgh police say he's also stealing packages. So they put out this post saying, do you recognize this guy? We haven't even made it to Halloween, and this guy is already acting like the Grinch. We need your help. Over the last few nights, the man in these pictures has been stealing Halloween decor, skeletons, ghosts, Amazon packages from the porches of several residents in the city of Pittsburgh. The graveyard patrol shift crews need your help identifying him, according to Pittsburgh police. And uh, they want to hear from you if you happen to know who he is. I want to, you know what? It's just so rude when you spend all this money on these decorations and some people really have elaborate displays set up and then someone comes and takes stuff from you. I was mentioned earlier, my mom had one of those you know those laser light displays that shine on the right. side of your house and they're like red and green dots buzzing around or snowflakes? And it, it's really special and kind of cool. Well, she didn't have it high up enough in a tree. And it, I guess it was accessible from someone could just reach up and grab it. And someone right. did. And off it went. So, you know, people will steal your stuff. Don't spend that much money on it because if you leave it outside, you never know who's going to come grab it like this fellow. Yeah, that's uh, unfortunate. Yeah. Um, speaking of companies that like to steal, or people like to steal things, uh, companies mm-hmm. like to steal things too, like uh, Google likes to steal all your personal what? information, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, there is this new experience at Google. And um, what it is, and let me take this guy down. Do-do-do. Sayonara, sucker. Sorry, we're kind of all over the place today, so yeah. I, I apologize. Yeah. Um, there is a new Google visitor experience now open at Google uh, headquarters. Uh, Google has opened a first of its kind, one, a 10,000 square foot visitor experience on the, on their Mountain View campus, which will allow the community to experience yeah. Google like never before. Um, this Google campus was developed. Uh, Google's campus has developed a, to re re envision the office experience for workers, and now visitors can interact with the tech giant in a new way. We really want to make a space where we can be together. Uh, this is Google's director of research and development for the built environment, um, Michelle Kaufman. She says, where it's a mixture of the people who work at Google as well as people who are our neighbors and people who inspire us. The Google visitor experience is designed for the community to enjoy all that Google has to offer. Uh, we got the first look. This is uh, ABC7 uh, okay. uh, on a tour of the new area, beginning with the huddle space. And um, you can network with other people. You can take free uh, workshops. Uh, the space that you see over here is available for local guests and communities, Google's vice president says. Uh, all kinds of organizations can book this space as well for local events. And after the event, you can stop by their cafe. Uh, Google says it it runs on coffee. <laughs> and now you can sit down and enjoy a cup uh, or a treat. We have a variety of options that are designed to be very approachable. Google's food program senior director Matt Hood said something like, if you come in and you're part of the community, this can be your local everyday breakfast stop or you can meet with friends for lunch. Oh, that's nice. You know, there's so many people that want to go visit that campus. Yeah, that it's, a it makes sense to have something that people can do rather than just walk around the, the grounds and look at the little statues of, you know, of, of the pancakes and the ice creams and whatever. It's so it's nice. That's cool. I like it. Very cool. Like it a lot. Um, I want. I'm kind of. I'm getting in the Halloween spirit with that last Halloween story. So I want to. If I could. You want to go last steal things? Story to wrap up. I don't want to steal. Oh. I want to tell you this story I found in the San Francisco Chronicle about thousands of dead bodies buried under San Francisco landmarks, because 
at one time, there was not a rule against having cemeteries in San Francisco. And then they had a rule. So they moved all the cemeteries. Allegedly, they moved, dug up all the bodies and moved them, right? But they didn't. They didn't dig up a lot of them. They just built over cemeteries. So in a lot of cases, you'll have buildings being constructed in San Francisco, and they dig and they find skeletons in, it, all over San Francisco. San Francisco's Forgotten Cemeteries is a new book by author Ben Weingartner, and she says she she's figured out where all of these old cemeteries were. So you can kind of figure it out. Here's a map of them, right? You can kind of see the, the the gravestone looking black markers. And look, all along the waterfront, down by uh, south of Market area, there's some cemeteries that, you know, we're taught to believe that other than the military cemetery and the Presidio, and there's a columbarium uh, in the, it's out in the, is it not the sunset? I think it's in the sunset. Yeah. Um, that there are no dead bodies in San Francisco, but there were once cemeteries, as you can see from this map, all over old San Francisco that were overtaken by development as the downtown and neighborhoods grew. And so she's cataloged all these locations. Apparently not all the corpses were moved. The cities ha had to keep shuffling bodies from old cemeteries to new ones. And then finally out of the cemeteries or the city to Colma, which then became the place where there's more dead people than living. So it's so interesting. There was one at Mission Dolores, North Beach, Russian Hill, the Yerba Buena Cemetery on Treasure you know what, Island. The um, Lone Mountain Cemetery became uh, the University of San Francisco, the shopping oh, center shopping center around that area. So um, Yeah, the Calvary Cemetery as well. They relocated all the bodies um, down south to Colma. Um, so they say there are more dead people in coma than living. I don't know if that's still yeah, the case, probably. it's true. It's true. Um, but there's this one picture from I think 2001, when they were digging ground, breaking ground to do the new uh, Asian Art Museum in San Francisco. And when they dug in, here is what they found. And this happens all over San Francisco, right? They found a body. So, I mean, all due respect to the body, we don't know who it was, but they these cemeteries, I won't linger on that. But the cemeteries, they just, they didn't dig everybody up. San Francisco's Forgotten Cemeteries, this book profiles local burial sites all over the place. At least 160,000 corpses last lay uh, where University of San Francisco is now. And they tried to move them all to Colma. That some they just didn't do. So anyway, just so you know, when you're driving around San Francisco, you might be walking on an old cemetery. Yeah, the, um, one of the, I think the apartment before last that I lived in was near uh, Lone Mountain. I think we, our apartment building was on top of one of the old cemeteries. I lived in a, an apartment in an old Victorian on Fell and Divisadero in the city. And it had a garage, which I had rented at the time. And half of the garage was concrete. And the second half of the garage was sand. And back in the sand where no one had laid a foundation or put a, built anything, we found a sem we found a headstone, an Ooh. old headstone. Yeah, in the garage. So there was just a headstone sitting in the garage. 
Oh, just sitting in the garage, not under, not in the ground. No, no, no. It wasn't like a headstone with a b body under it that I know of. It had fallen, and it was just this old concrete headstone or marble headstone that was leaning up against a wall in the garage. And they used a lot of the broken fragments of headstones to create the seawall out at Ocean Beach. I didn't know that. That's so yeah, interesting. Yeah, when you go out there, you'll see little, um, you'll see pieces where you can actually tell that they're headstones. Oh, that's weird and creepy and yeah. cool. and A lot of creepy things mm. in the city. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it might be time to go. Oh, no. I oh, know. No, don't... I See, hate to so... do it, but listen, it's Friday. The weekend has just started for all of us, and we have some things to get to and some fun to be had, right? That's true. It's been a great week, um, other than obviously the horrible news. But um, it's yeah. been a good uh, week on our show, a little diversion uh, to uh, lift up your spirits, hopefully, and uh, entertain you, I hope. I hope we yeah. entertained you a little bit. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. And thank you for the contributions to the show. We really, really thank you very much and appreciate you spending your hour with us this afternoon. Hope you have an excellent weekend and we will see you again on Monday. Have a good one, John Daly. Have a good one at a time. Bye-bye.